0: The role of an academic, in many ways, is to extract data from the world in which we live and map it against a the theoretical model against which we can test a hypothesis. Hopefully we can then communicate these results in an eloquent and insightful manner that will increase the wider understanding of the complex and fast-moving world we inhabit. Within the field of film theory, this has indeed, in the past, reached quite abstract levels of thinking, as it tries to get at the deep processes of subjectivity that film so directly seems to connect with, working as it does with time, memory and the moving image. However, the making of a film is driven by a quite different set of concerns, perhaps no less complex at times, but clearly framed at the very least by some sense of pragmatics. The challenge, as one philosopher once said, is not the decision about what to put on the screen, rather the challenge is what to leave out. To clear the canvas, so to speak, of cliché and formulaic ideas. Hello and welcome to the GeoMedia podcast. I'm John Lynch, Associate Professor in Film and Media at Karlstad University in Sweden. Today I'll be talking to the London-based Irish filmmaker Christine Malloy about this process and how space, place and location provide the architecture, so to speak, of the moving image. Christine, in partnership with Joe Lawler in the production company Desperate Optimists, has written, directed, and produced a number of community-based short films under the title of Civic Life. Two feature films, Helen and Mr. John, and a documentary titled Further Beyond from 2016. She is currently on the final stages of her new film that will be released later this year. Welcome, Christine. Thank you, John. Um, I'd like to start with uh, thinking about the, 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 the filmmaking process um, in, in the sense that as academics, we very much work with ideas, you know, and um, social phenomena. As a filmmaker, what is it that sort of uh, initiates the process, the, the desire to embark on that kind of long, complex journey as it will be of of making a film what's this what's the kind of initial seed um,
1: it often starts with um, a small idea um, for us there's nearly always some kind of a personal relationship that we have to the idea and you could say that Ideas don't come that often, particularly ideas that you would give yourself over to for five years of your life. And it better be an idea that you're interested in and are going to become very committed to. Um, and then on another level, ideas come and go all the time. They're everywhere you look. You know, you pick up the paper. I know a lot of films start from, you know, an article in a newspaper. We, we try to find something um, that we have a personal connection to. Um, and I think it was David Lynch who described the whole process of building an idea. And so he thought he said that if there's an idea that you can attach something else to and it doesn't fall apart and it stays intact, um, and then you can bring another idea to and attach that to it as well. And if you can slowly build something up around the core, well then it's probably. Um, an idea worth running with and I guess we think the same that if the idea allows other things, if it can soak in other material um, it's probably a good idea at, from the, at the from the first in the first instance it's a good idea um, but as I said you, it's something you're going to um, hang out with for a long time and um, it's also something that's going to be knocked about in the process of trying to make the film, and to build from this initial idea to build a script um, of however many pages long it's going to be. Um, so, yes, it's uh, the, the personal. The personal connection is important to us.
0: So, if it isn't too an abstract uh, a question, what what does an idea look like in film? How, i I understand I, that well, you read a, something and you it's a
1: true it, that's a difficult one because actually people might say that film is all about the story and i've I've heard that said many times so film is about story um but then you might say well what story about and what's the telling of a story about and um, so the storytelling aspect which is possibly the f- the form as opposed to just purely the content and our approach is always thinking of ourselves as storytellers. So we're interested in we're interested in narrative and story, but we're also interested in storytelling and structure. And so, um, an idea for me is something that I can think about in terms of uh, structure and storytelling. Um, so yes, the story is important, but m- more importantly, it's it's to be able to um, piece together a An approach to storytelling um, that is the that's the biggest interest in the process um, for myself and Joe. So our approach has always been it's not that it's form led because that's not true because I'm also interested in the story. But it's it's the approach to storytelling which is where the interest for us really lies. Um, So we we approach work in that way, we approach the filmmaking process in that way, thinking about the, the structure and the narrative and the, the, the storytelling structure um, in the process. Um, what does it look like? Oh, my God. Um, for me, it also looks like um, uh, a series of images at the end of the day when you're making a film, it comes down to some simple things when you're in the process of actually filming, it's where am I going to place the camera? What am I looking at? What happens inside the frame? Um, So to get to that point, there's a journey that you go on, which would, which obviously involves um, really rudimentary things like story beats, moments in which the information has to be imparted, um, important information. Um, And then of course it involves location as well we have to be somewhere in order to place the camera and um, down and start filming we have to be somewhere and most likely although not always and um, somebody has to be inside the frame and something has to happen um, and so it comes down to very practical things that you can think about and you can think about in a very pragmatic way so a lot of the thinking that leads up to that moment um, probably resides in the arena of ideas because you're trying to unpick something, uncover something for yourself um, so that the idea can't remain static. It's going to grow. It's going to change. It's going to be pulled in different directions. And you need to know why you're bothering. (laughs) I mean, sometimes along the way, because it can be quite a difficult process, you think, why are we doing this? Um, What's it for? So you need to keep... Understanding and reassuring yourself why you're you're putting yourself through this process, um, so that that's always happening. But in the moment of actually filming, it's very. I think it's quite practical and pragmatic. And there's certain things that you have to get right. There's certain things you have to understand about the the story and how the story itself will unfold. And then you must understand the the grammar, your grammar. Um, so. Um, one of the things we think about a lot is um the the grammar of our approach to to making something. so um which could be like thinking what's if it's if it's jazz, what's this what's the structure? So inside the structure you're going to play, but you need to understand um the structure in terms of how you're going to play and and you you understand it and you stick with it and therefore well in that process hopefully you can make something coherent um that allows people in because it's it's almost like at the end of the day when somebody's in a cinema looking at your film it's a there's a lot of people have to trust the filmmaker and I would say the you know um the fact that the film is there on the screen has uh, he, I hate when people doubt the intentions because it's a it's hard journey to get something on the screen of a film. It's a hard journey. So I hate when people doubt the intentions of the, the maker, the filmmaker. But at the same time, um, it is you, audiences have to trust what they're watching. Um, and that comes back to the the filmmakers knowing what it is that they're trying to do. In as, as, as far as you can, you don't want everything so locked down. You
0: want things to be open. You want a space for the audience to occupy and to step into. So that that sort of idea of improvisation is is important within a within a framework that you've set up and that you're used to in a certain.
1: We way. don't really use improvisation, no. We like to create space. Um, Richard Foreman is an experimental theatre maker in New York. I don't know whether he'd describe himself as an experimental. That's the way I'm describing him, for want of a better word. Avant-garde filmmaker in New York. And he um, talked about um, a space, creating a space in which accidents can happen. So I would say it's not improvisation, and we certainly don't. I mean, there isn't the time. Well, certainly in the processes that we've been through, there's so little time there's barely any time to think which is a problem can be a real problem with the low budget filmmaking because actually you need to be able to think your way through everything you need to be able to you know think and act on your feet Um, but the way I think about it is more as Richard Foreman describes it there's a space that you create and, and it's good to allow accidents to happen inside that space so we try to create so we're we're always alert to what's. We try to be really alert to what's going on, and you know that you can change things as you go along. You also know um, that you can, you can, you can anticipate. You can begin to anticipate and um, judge where problems. Something that's been very solid and set in a script, and that's your blueprint and your guide when you're filming. You might. It might dawn on you the night before you're meant to film some scene that it's wrong. It might work on paper, but it's now irrelevant or it's wrong or it's been misjudged or it's not right. Um, so yeah, you you have to be alert and so we want things to be open. We give a lot of we give a lot over to our actors. Um, we we trust them and their process and we try to allow that to happen. But of course they're they're working to this. The script and what the demands of whatever the the scene is that we're choosing
0: do you rehearse a lot with them do you do lots of takes um i mean what's your do you have a kind of preferred practice in, in any way or
1: um so far the way we've worked has been led by the actors so yes um you know there's certain things that would be good to have at least talked it through you might need some specialist crew members like um, stunt people in a particular scene Um, and then so you have to carefully you know step and walk your way through so everybody knows what's going on but most of the time unless an actor really wants more from us we as I said we try and trust their process if you feel that it's not going where it needs to go you just pull it back to where you want it to be Um, but they I mean The actors that we've worked with, they have their own very rigorous processes because it's quite quite exposing. I mean, there's a huge amount of pressure on them. Um, I think it's a really, really tough, exposing job. So, you know, people come really, really prepared. And if you talk in advance, if you have enough conversations with them and about the script, you can let them get on with this. Yeah, as long as they're doing, not that, as long as it's not completely off in the wrong direction. Um, and so if an actress says they need to rehearse, we would only ever have a limited amount of rehearsal time that we could be able to pay for um, in the work we've done so far. But if they want to rehearse, we do. It's nearly always around a script reading um, and it might be things that don't work for them. So we discuss it best as much as possible to have done that in advance. and um, it's, it's funny, it's like sometimes it can be like a, a Yang guitar. You might take out the and there might be a word that an actor doesn't feel works for them, but in taking it out everything falls apart. So you have to be a little bit careful. Um and then if a an actor like we've worked with Aidan Gillen twice and Aidan doesn't like to rehearse. Um and so you you don't rehearse. So I mean that's we would we would absolutely look to our main actors and say, well, what do you want? How do you want this process to work? And then we'll try and, um, you know, work with us.
0: You've also made films um, with non-professional mm-hmm. actors. Um, and I mean, the, we'll talk about the short films in a, in a moment um, in more detail, but uh, in that sense, that them, we might describe in terms of what people need to do maybe more static but you know with with Helen for instance and things you got the impression that there was a lot for untrained people to do was that a very different kind of process yeah I mean and and of course as you say you you have enormous kind of responsibility of care for them and Mm. create that kind of security so they can but with new new performers it must be a challenge
1: Um, yes but certainly with well with with Civic Life which is a series of short films that we've made um, in communities um, exploring the relationship people have to you know the the civic spaces in their um, community in their neighbourhood we've made a series of films and I think they're quite performative it's more like um I don't know, staging a performance event because they're single takes and it's a, it's an endeavor to, you know, take a deep breath, say action and then keep going until um, the end. Um, because, you know, cinema is so often about the cut, but there's if you're doing a single take, there's no cutting. So we've all got to get it right. So it's a choreography and everyone's got a, a role to play. Um, some parts a bit more prominent so you need people who are happy to step up and that's a whole um, process of negotiation with the communities that we've worked with. Helen our first uh, feature film took the idea of civic life and expanded it into a feature-length film but trying to retain um, a lot of the um, approaches that we used in civic life so working with 35 millimetre film um, working in communities, um, in um, locations within those communities that we would be guided towards. Um, so, for example, we we worked in Birmingham in the UK, which is a, a city, a big city, the, the England's second biggest city, uh, which is in the Midlands. Uh, John's shaking his head. Am I getting this right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, I, wor- I worked in Birmingham, so okay. I'm just kind of recognising the... <laughs> Um, actually, four of my mum's sisters lived in Birmingham. They left Ireland in their teens and um, lived their lives in Birmingham. Um, that's beside the point. Anyway, so we were guided towards Frampton Park. And so we we knew we had this patchwork quilt of locations that we were going to work in. And we knew that most of the people we would work with would have a connection with the location. But we still had to find um, people to play our main parts um and and so we would have an approach. maybe our our background is in theater, but more kind of experimental theater. And we have always had a we always had to think about, as I said earlier, narrative storytelling, um, the form, how something is going to be, how the how the story is going to be told. and that absolutely informed our our theater work. But the other thing that we thought about a lot when we made theatre was performance um, and exploring how performance might work in the, the live event. And I think a lot of that, so it's something that we, um, we could, uh, what's the word? We could, we wanted to um, control the different aspects of it. I think a lot of performing in cinema is about naturalism it's about real tears it's about real emotion it's about um drama it's about um uh creating a convincing world and maybe even sometimes trying to go for something authentic driving ever closer to some kind of authenticity um but in my mind it's 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 um you don't have to approach performance that way and you can think about it in another way. So we would have this scale of one to ten, say, for example. And um with um our film Helen, we we weren't going to professionalize our non-professional actors. We we just wanted to work with what where we thought they were and what we felt that they could give and to try and Um, hone in on on what it was about them that we were drawn to in the first place and make that the thing and so we would we tried to create a world where we didn't demand anything more from them uh, than we thought they could deliver and give back to us Um, and and so we were very very careful about what was in in the film in terms of drama or in the scene in terms of what might be required by the actor to, to give us and something that's come to my mind is um, a conversation I had with an actor that we've worked with. And at the end of the process, they said, "You know, it can be a bit, it's, it can be a bit emotionally draining and exhausting being in a film." Um, and they said, "You know, well, like you only got 50% from me," and and I said, "Well, that's really all we we're looking for. We're not always looking for 100%. Whatever you think that might be." Um, you know, a lot of the times where we like to see people thinking, I think there's a lot of work that's driven by drama, reacting, acting. Um, it's, it's fast. It's, um, it's, it's big. Um, we, I, I love to literally see the, the cogs in the mind turning round, um, which is obviously often quite still um, and quiet and it's more about um, a presence and we got really lucky with our feature film Helen because Annie Townsend, the young woman who we came across in Newcastle um, as part of our auditioning process trying to find somebody it was really about asking people some um, you know, really simple questions like who are you, where do you come from and um, looking at their, how they Present themselves with the camera between us and them. And Annie, I mean, the minute we saw the footage that we shot of her in the audition, we knew that if she was up for us, um, you know, we really, really wanted to work with her. And so we tried to
0: build everything around her. Yeah, I mean, Helen is uh, a remarkable film, and um, uh, the 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 there's an honesty to it which just you know shines through and um as you say i mean film and the you get a sense as you say in in terms of the in terms of the industry and the, the people pushing it to a, a a very uh a certain kind of aesthetic in a very a certain I don't know what you would call it—not professional, because it's not like it was unprofessional—but but but there's something that 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 shines through with this, with the way that um, uh, even uh, you shot an empty room into which people come in and they sat down and then they're you know they're asked to do things while still maintaining a a sense of artifice in a way. You know, it wasn't, um, uh, and it just created for for me as a viewer you know what was remarkable with Helen was it just created so much space for me to you know mm-hmm. to 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 uh, sort of exist in that world mm. and it was precisely a very thoughtful kind of film I thought you know and but um, well, that's really n- nice to hear yeah it was remarkable I thought and you know the There's certain scenes from it which just stick with me the 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 parents and grief and the you know uh and and helen herself in terms of her um just um small scale in a way attempts to clutch to something Mm. you know and think beyond her her in her blue sky moment you know and uh (laughs) as it was yeah it was wonderful Mm. and and all of the people on screen, the performers. Um, yeah. And it had a consistency, which was, again, not easy to mm. to get, you know. So yeah. uh, I you... know
1: because we shot it over fa- four cities and two countries. So always moving to a new place. Um, yeah, I, I think it was misunderstood sometimes in terms of, you know, the reaction to the film, because not everybody wants to occupy that space as an audience member. Um, so people might say, well, it was boring or it didn't go anywhere or that the acting was wooden. Um, and I think that that is a misinterpretation of the the film. Um, and I also think it's because uh, it's outside of what people expect. And um, and, and you, you can either kind of open yourself up to that then or else you can kind of reject it and just say it's rubbish. So we were in a, a difficult place because we didn't make the film with the intention of it being distributed anywhere. We made it um, initially to go back to the people we made it with to show it in their um, cities. Um, so that was the intention behind the project because it was an art project. But somehow it went on then this journey um, uh, in on the Festival Circus and then it was actually picked up by a, a distributor in the UK and a sales agent, it was also released in France and then you kind of panic a little bit because I want to go everywhere with the film and try and, it's not even to defend it but to support us and to explain this is, this is where this film has come from because when it was released in the UK um, I don't know I think it was our very first experience of something like this happening but you know, um, the morning after it, it had its first um, screening, um, you know, on its opening weekend, there were even reviews in The Sun newspaper and <laughs> in a magazine that doesn't exist anymore called Nuts. I don't know if you remember that magazine. Yes. Thinking, <laughs> By reputation. Yeah, <laughs> thinking, how is this even... It's it's So then you want to kind of you feel very protective of the work mm-hmm. because um, it's so easily... Um You know, misunderstood, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. so you want to kind of come to its defense. So well if you just think about it in a different way, um, yeah, but there there's the perils of yeah. <laughs> making a piece of work and when you give it over to an audience, um, it's a tough world out there, and of course, um, people are entitled to. To their reactions and their feelings about what you've made. But you'd better develop a very, very thick skin. But of course, when we're working on Helen. and we're working with non-actors, as you said, and they don't have to have a thick skin. Um But you, you know, it would slightly pain me to hear the performances described as wooden, for example, because I think yeah. it's the wrong word. Um Absolutely. But, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's also something that we feel, you know, very proud about and we're really... Glad we had the opportunity to make us, and and also really glad that along in the the process of making the film, it, it ended up reaching an audience far beyond
0: any expectations we had when we made it. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be the the first person to say that it just it seemed so uh, a kind of Robert Bresson kind of uh, film in a, in a, in in a, in a sense that you know, it, it connected with the spirit of that kind of filmmaking you know he says make visible things that otherwise might not be seen and and what we're seeing with helen is is something not seen and that's uh that's again it's an easy thing to say but it's 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 very difficult to do you know and to sustain over a feature in that way uh a bresson i think had to would from what i've read would Rehearse these actors, you know, for a hundred takes to get them down to a level of of yeah. uh, affectless yeah. that he wanted, and um, and and you were able to in, in, in perhaps reverse that in a certain way and 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 find these wonderful people who, as as you say, made them. You know, yeah. there's a vulnerability to that to putting yourself on screen, and yeah. uh, and so you don't know who's going to watch it, mm. and then. Uh, becomes part of a, a public discourse and, and suddenly, you know, uh, yeah. So it's, it's it's very, very good. It's, it stands out. And I think it will, you know, stand out through time as well. It endures okay. in that kind of Thanks way. Thanks for that, John. So if I go, if we go, I mean, as you say, Helen then developed from the civic life and, f- and from joy uh, specifically. Um, you, I mean, you made a series of films. I mean, we we'll to talk about all of them. Um, They're collected as it, certainly in this, this DVD set here, Civic Life. Presumably, Civic Life was the name you gave after a while to what became a collection. I mean, did it. Yes, yeah. But you must. So, what? Well, we gave it after the second film. <laughs> okay, so by that point, so, you had a sense that you were doing a fairly coherent kind of practice, yeah. is that?
1: Well, we, we made theatre for an, a number of years after we left college. And we made uh, six six p- um, pieces of live theatre work that we then toured, and um, over the course of seven years, from ninety two to ninety nine. And you know, our love has always been cinema. Um, and we began to use um, the screen in our theatre work more and more. Maybe tip the balance so that there was more screen in our live work than actual live performance. That's probably not true, but it kind of felt that that's the direction it was going in. And what would you project on the screen then? um, Your own material or found material? Oh no, always our own material. Yeah, always. And it might even be, um, you know, something that's being framed that's happening in the space, the live theatre space, but often it was recorded Mm. specifically for the show. Um, to play, to bring other people into the performance, sometimes like with the last piece that we made, Playboy, um, excerpts of Witcher and Further Beyond, um, which is our documentary film. Um, so we had a whole host of other characters who we could never actually have in the live show because we didn't have the budget to have a cast. And um, so we brought people around with us um, via uh, video monitors. Um, but yeah, so we... We knew that we wanted to um, try and make film, um, but this was back in the late 90s going into um, early 2000s. And the the filmmaking process was was difficult then and not very accessible because it was still analogue. So working with 35mm. CinemaScope. Well, that's a that's a choice. I mean, we chose CinemaScope, but it's it's not an accessible process because it's expensive. And, uh, you know, the whole digital revolution in filmmaking was only just beginning is that it's very, very early stages. So even that wasn't accessible because, you know, farware hadn't been invented. So the whole idea of your own editing suite, um, you know, that's on your kitchen table, and you just via firewire, but it's now back to USB. But you you plug your hard drive into and away you go. Um, that that didn't exist back in the late 90s, early noughties. I mean, the digital filmmaking was almost as expensive and definitely in the post production because you needed a lot of hard drives to be able to run the software Um the first setup that we had was a whole stack of raid towers and the management of them was complicated. And it, and it took real management um, to, to keep shifting your data around and whatever. So it seemed totally inaccessible and sometimes we thought we'd done the wrong degree. We should have just come and done film studies. I'm glad we didn't. Um, but you think, how the hell are we going to find a fuss into this world? So we began by um, working um, online with, uh, I don't even know if it still exists, uh, an editing package called Flash, which is kind of an animation package, but allowed you to work with images. So QuickTime wasn't anywhere in the frame really then either. So we we developed episodic work online um, and uh, the, and then, uh, somewhere along the line, within a year or two, say in 2002, um, suddenly you could put video content on the internet easily through QuickTime. Um, and that kind of got us a little bit closer to film because it was moving image rather than still image, imagery. And um, so you're you're kind of looking for something. And we, we did a project called London Framed, which is an online project, a big community arts project across, um, I think, eight boroughs in London. Great project, actually. Um, great fun to work on. And a woman um, from Enfield... I'm rambling a little bit. So I'm trying to bring myself back to the question. A woman from um, Enfield, who is the film officer in that borough, saw London Framed And uh, she um, had a real focus on film in the borough of Anfield. And there was a loop of a river called the New River that had been, um, a lot of um, money had been um, put into reclaiming this loop of the New River that ran through the borough of Anfield. Um, so that it could be, again, a public amenity that people could enjoy because it had been let go to rack and ruin. And she wanted something to mark the, you know, the the opening of the, the this loop of the New River. And she saw what we did with London Framed and thought, well, maybe they could do something with the community. She wanted something to happen on film. Um, and everything we'd done up until then was shot digitally. And... Um, but we went to visit this loop of the New River in Enfield, And Enfield is a borough with a lot of problems. Um, I mean, it's a great borough, but, you know, there's social problems, social tensions. And yet they've got this very idyllic place in the middle of the borough, which almost looks like you're in the, you know, in Cambridge, walking along the backs, you know, with a beautiful little bridge and picturesque cottages. It's just a real anomaly in the middle of, a, you know, a borough, a London borough like Enfield. Um, and, and we thought, well, having absolutely no experience of working with film at all ever, that maybe we should commit this to film it's, it's, it's deserving of it, it's beautiful that sounds we, all wrong but uh, I'm trying to get to where what were we thinking, It's. like it would be a real shame not to mm. try, and so then that became our, um, you know, kind of it, it was almost like going to film school it was like film school concentrated into one short film how do you work with film? How do you make it work with the budget? We had a budget of twenty thousand mm-hmm. um, pounds, and so we came up with these set of rules. We will only be able to do this if it's a single take. We will only right. be able to do this if we only shoot four takes. So okay. four okay. slaves. We've got four opportunities to try and get it right. We'll only be able to do it if it all happens over one day, and we don't go into overtime. And it'll. We can only do it if we. Um, just process one of the takes so we can't process them all we have to decide which one and so we had real restrictions and um, based on our budget mm-hmm. um, and then when we'd completed it we it's almost like we had um, arrived somewhere where we really wanted to be and in in that moment we thought we're going to do a series and being catholic we thought let's do seven <laughs> 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 let's take that nice Number seven and let's make seven. We ended up making more than seven, but initially it was to make seven films. And we thought, whatever happens over the next few years, we're going to put all our energy and resources into trying to raise money to make six more of these films and put them together. So the idea of the series arrived very early on. Okay. And, um, like the Kieslowski decalogue kind of yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah. And so you... But we, we so always tried to kind of keep to the same rules. We, they shifted and changed a little bit. Um, for example, Leisure Centre has a cut in us. I think that's the only one of our films that had a cut. So
0: the first um, one was Who Killed Brown Owl, the yeah. Enfield one, um, as you say, on the river. Moor Street, I, I, I really liked. Um, I was going to show
1: some of that yesterday. That was, I never got the chance. Yeah, ah.
0: it's, um, it's, a, it's a lovely... Um, and the subject, and you know, mm. Dublin is it shot in Dublin? It's shot in a very iconic street in Dublin. Um, mm.
1: but it's also the it, it's become the focal point of um, for immigrants who've come into the country. Ireland has always We're well used to people leaving. We, we've Ireland has tried not to adjust not, to not, the not idea of people, people in. Getting, <laughs> wanting to come in and more streets. It's it's one of those. It's a historical street, so it's where all the fruit and vegetable sellers in the city centre um, uh, have their stalls. So it's bang in the middle of the city centre, but you've got these market traders you know, selling fruit and vegetables and flowers. Um, so it's got that market feel and the people who run the stalls, they've, they've been passed down through the generations um, in, the, in the same families and they nearly all come from the inner city. Now, my mother grew up in the inner city and her grandmother and then her mother and her sister all ran a fruit and vegetable stall in the okay. um, the centre of the town. But in, in a covered wholesale fruit and vegetable market, that's actually still there and really worth visiting if anyone is ever in Dublin. But Moorra Street is like an extension of that into the heart of... Um, Dublin city on the north side of a main shopping thoroughfare called Henry Street. So it's iconic if you think of Dublin. Yeah. Moore Street yeah. will probably pop into your mind. But Moore Street is an interesting street in terms of ownership of the land and all the properties that line the streets. And it's been the size of this ongoing development planning thing that's gone on and on for years. It should have been resolved during the Course of the Celtic Tiger when there was money sloshing about, but I think there's some very powerful people with interests in the land um, that then kind of backs on that the other side of it is on O'Connell Street, our main you know, street in Dublin um, and so a lot of the tenancies are short term so it's the perfect place for immigrants to set up businesses. When you try to set a foothold in a city um, you know, one of the things that happens, and people can be very resourceful and entrepreneurial, but also want to create their own communities. So, um, you know, there will be waves, there's been waves of different immigrants that have occupied more Street because they'll take on the short term affordable contracts. Because at any stage, this, that whole street will be pulled down. At some stage, it will be, but that's always been the threat and the plan bubbling in the background and so as different waves of immigrants have come in we've there have been um Polish immigrants Moore Street suddenly becomes almost a Polish street there's been Chinese immigrants to Dublin and so it's been um you know like a Chinese street and then there's been African immigrants to Dublin to Ireland as well and suddenly Moore Street becomes very African and so we wanted to um, but I guess we're always trying to think about ourselves as well and what it means to come into a place, um, to leave your home and to try and build a, a new life somewhere else. Um, and so we see it as a very Irish story, Um It's like the Irish story being played out in Ireland by, by um, different immigrants. Um, uh, and so... That, that, that's the way we see it but we also filmed it at Nice and I think pe- when people think of Moore Street they think of Moore Street in the day bustling with you know flower yeah. sellers and whatever but at Nice it's it's a very atmospheric street. It tends to be quite empty. There's a couple of bars um, a bit empty and windswept but but quite like interesting and um, in terms of location very cinematic so we, we wanted to represent Moore Street in a different way and we made this um, because we were commissioned as part of Ireland's representation at the Sao Paulo Biennale in 2000 and oh, 2005, I think. Can't remember now. Um, And there was a cinema chain in Sao Paulo. We didn't want the film to screen inside the main exhibition hall. We wanted it to screen in a cinema because that was in the spirit of the Civic Life project as it wasn't developing. And there was a cinema chain in Sao Paulo, and we went over to visit them before we made the film, who agreed to show Moore Streets in parallel with the the Biennale being on. But then when they actually were presented with the final film that we made, they did, um, pulled out of the project and said they actually now didn't want to show it because it wasn't Irish. <laughs> it wasn't mm. because, I guess, because it wasn't full of Irish people. Yeah. Um, and they didn't see it as an Irish story. And I thought, well, you're completely missing the point because this is an Irish story mm. as well. It's actually it's, it's their story, but it's also our story, the story of the Irish, because Ireland is also about that diaspora who are out there everywhere um, you know living their lives in other places Um, yeah but eventually we found an amazing alternative cinema um, place that actually took it on
0: so it's a wonderful film and I mean the in in terms of time then just to to, I wanted to talk about uh, one of them in in a bit leisure centre um which I think was shot in the Ballymun mm. swimming pool leisure centre, uh, yeah, leisure centre, and uh, which again I thought was a wonderful sort of um, uh, uh, sort of investigation of, a, of of a space and and so many people there and and it, it reminded me in a way. I, I mean, uh, the, with the with the practice that you have of of, of this, um, the conditions that you use. Um, and one of my, again, films that sticks in my mind very much was Gus Van Sant's Elephant with the oh, steady cam yeah. and the movement. And there's something about it again. it You know, if it, it, you know, if you if you if you try and film people, uh, you very quickly realize that it's actually incredibly difficult to get, a cert, you know, to 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 film people the right way. Mm and um with a steady cam and things like this movement and coordination and 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 getting them to maintain um a certain presence on screen is is very difficult um well it, it's it's maybe you know, it is a challenge but uh, the leisure center just really held that idea uh, and, of course, as well, you know, Gus Van Sant's Elephant, um, he took a lot from Alan Clarke's mm-hmm. Elephant, uh, which, again, is a film that I've, I've, I've looked at and studied and written about. I mean, it's, again, it's kind of remarkable with its kind of impact. Um, so Leisure Centre, it's in Ballymun, and it's mm-hmm. part of a regeneration project. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's That's your town as mm. such was mm. what was what was that process like in terms of and how did you again you came up with the idea so say you came up with the idea the, in the film is the idea of the new birth mm. and um the 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 change in their life for these two people with all their uncertainties mm. very sensitively done and very well um acted yeah. you know
1: it, yeah it was it was it was great for us to go back because I mean that's the part of Dublin that we grew up in we grew up down the road from the Ballymun Flats um, and as part of the regeneration project which I think was Europe's largest regeneration project ever um, it was about pulling down these flats, which were very badly conceived in the first place. I mean, there were so many problems right from the beginning when Ballymun was constructed, including the fact that there was, um, you know, I can't remember how many people lived there, say 60,000, and there wasn't even one laundress. Actually, they didn't even make provision for proper shops initially, um, and the flats were badly built, and um, people were taken from all over the city who had any myriad of social problems and stuck in one place, out in the limb, and removed like a kind of a ghetto. So it,
0: it But it, they were named after Republican heroes,
1: so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they could take some solace yeah. in there. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it's a uh, yeah, it's one of those, you know,
0: places. Yeah. Um, that's kind of sixties planning disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, done on a massive scale and, you know, the edge of Dublin. Um, and the regeneration project hasn't been Perfect. It kind of fills me with a bit of sadness to see where they've gone with it. Although there were a lot of attempts to involve local people every step of the way. Um, And they always had a percent for art um, commitment in the regeneration of Ballymun. So a small percentage of money, the money that went into redeveloping, was. Ring fenced for art projects, and the art projects was that it's a whole. It was an amazing commissioning program over a number of years to commission a whole range of artists, and mostly it was to, ref, you know, reflect on and think about Ballymun and um, you know that's that was the nature of the funding. Um, and a- again, um, the person who's in charge of that fund um, saw more streets, and. You know, asked us or wanted us to apply, so we did. Um, and the engagement we had with people was was fantastic um, because the people of Ballymun um, I'm thinking this is a wrong. I'm, I'm trying to draw in what um, was said by Marin at the keynote speech yesterday. Um, when when people are given a space, and so that they're going to to they can. Talk and they'll be listened to and heard, and what they say is important. So that kind of recognition. So people who've been ignored are are given a, a, a platform and a space, and they're going to be listened to. Well, part of the regeneration process in Ballymun involved giving people space to be actively in, involved and engaged and to input into you know the changes. And but one of the really fraught places was the leisure centre because different ideas that people had about how it should function what it should be like and how it should work um and when we we in the development of the civil civic life projects we'd always hold a series of civic meetings to meet people and then to talk about what we might do and the people that we met in Ballymun were really really clear we want um we wanted to be about love (laughs) we want it to be a story about um Hope in the future. We don't want another project that looks at you know Ballymun and um, you know uh, the past and all its failings and shortcomings, etc. And um, we want something that's forward-looking and is about love, um, which is how the story developed. It was in response to what people said they they wanted, um, but. I, th- I think we underestimated. Um, maybe it just became clear as we were filming, The number one, the feeling about the leisure centre. But when we made it, it, the leisure centre hadn't opened yet. So our film became the first time that people of that local community actually had access to the leisure centre. And also it was for free, because one of the problems was, well, how much is it going to cost and accessibility? And is it going to be accessible to people who live in the area? and. Um, and so actually a lot of the gym equipment was still under plastic. And so we had kind of a access um a kind of a privileged access to this leisure
0: centre. Um, yeah, that was a wonderful moment when the leisure centre worker said, yeah, I've had to test every, every machine yeah. for an hour and I've run <laughs> 300 kilometres or whatever. It was kind of... Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> they were great. The people that we worked were just brilliant. Um, but... Because it was, yeah, this kind of privileged access and the first time people were in this leisure centre and it was so kind of um, caught up in various kind of heated discussions and, you know, aggravation and anger. There was always a lot of anger around mm. about decisions that were being made. Um, it was really... It, 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 uh, it, it just went off into some kind of crazy day where we couldn't keep people out of the pool because we needed to keep them out of the pool because they, we, won't, we needed them to get into the pool when we were ready because we we're working with steady cam and we're trying to do this complicated single take with this big choreography. And if people are in the pool for too long, you get cold, you get tired, you want to get out. And that's exactly what happened, the whole thing. <laughs> was it was the most chaotic of our projects <laughs> that we did um, and the most challenging be, just because there was all these other real things going on like real mm. life things that were going on in the
0: background that we had very little control over um, keeping belly people out of the pool yeah, <laughs> Second and, AD yeah and we couldn't get
1: people to listen to us either because it just everyone just did their own thing Um, on the day so we just had to work with that reality then Mm. in the end we just had to work with us and and, you know Mm. do what we had to do I don't think I've answered a question. I can't remember what the question was. No, I was. think
0: it's just, uh, I mean, it's something about the Oh, yes, so um,
1: the... Alan Clark and um,
0: Gus Van Sant.
1: Well, I have to say that Alan Clarke's a real hero of ours. And, mm. um, and we also love the work of Gus Van Sant. And we love both versions of Elephant. Um, and I would say that, yes, um, the... The cinematography, the use of the Steadicam in Leisure Center owes a lot to um, Alan Clark's Elephant. Um, yeah, we ha- we we definitely had that in mind mm-hmm. when we were working on Leisure Center.
0: So just moving on, because we have got um, Mr. John was uh, was a, was a great film. I mean, I I really really enjoyed it. Uh, Aidan Gillen did a a, a, a really. Um, great performance in that you know sustaining that performance over that time and sh- and in Singapore which must have posed its own challenges shall we say for for everyone in different ways um, but again I think a, a film that um, people will really go back to and, and, and discover it, it w- again will endure but I wanted to just um, finish really with a bit of a discussion about further beyond um, and you know further beyond uh, works on so many levels there's 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 so much within it um and the uh i mean the 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 opening discussion around uh is it the director Fla- Flaherty, you, yeah. you talked about and the his reluctance to start the editing process again, yeah. again it 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 it's so much uh it works so effectively in terms of things to do with Ireland and experience and history and this historical figure, the process of making something other filmmakers and uh, and those kinds of ideas, the question of authenticity, you know. Mm. And, and I suppose filmmaking is a certain kind of mythology, really, that, I mean, as you say, uh, people uh, in, in, in Brazil that expected to see an Irish film with certain landscape shots and mm-hmm. certain types of music and and everything else so all of that feeds into that uh, how did how did all of this how did you kind of uh what was your uh concerns and ideas in in terms of pulling all of these strands together um because there's a lot there personal mm-hmm. history Old footage, mm-hmm. um, music from Mr. John, yeah, <laughs> which was, was a kind of strange. I was, <laughs> that set of bells in my head. I was like, I, I recognise that. And then the voiceover artists were were great. You know, yeah. did you script all of their yeah their yeah, yeah, that right. was all scripted because okay, they were they um, were your kind of avatars. Yeah, okay, like our they? stand-ins. Yes, we've
1: we've kind of worked with stand-ins—the idea of a stand-in or uh, stepping into someone else's shoes or becoming yeah. someone else—and yeah. um, we've worked with that a lot. Um, and that element is certainly there in Further Beyond, and with our two and with our two characters, Joe's mother, Helen, and then Ambrose O'Higgins, kind of reinvented himself when he went to. Um, South America, to Chile. Um, uh, I would say that, um, quickly going back to Mr. John, Mr. John's our first um, venture into the world of filmmaking, like uh, proper filmmaking, I'm saying in inverted commas, and how it's structured and how it's funded and how it's... um, the gatekeepers who hold the keys mm, mm. and allow you access what they expect you to do in order to get through that gate so you mm. can make your film. So Mr. John is our first experience. So it's like a, a really tough, hard learning curve for us. And it's completely different because we've always um, made our own work and have had artistic control and haven't had anybody tell us what to do or how to do it. And so if we want to write the script last and get everything else in place first... That's what we do. Um, But in Mr. John, it was completely different. And this is how you do it. And these are all the things you must do in order to be able to make the film. But further beyond, we made in the middle of trying to develop a new film script called Rose Pays Julie. And we had been working on that for uh, nearly three years. And we, well, we needed to make some money. But I think we also needed to um, feel like artists again or makers, filmmakers, rather than just being stuck in this kind of development hell, nightmare. Um, And so we applied for the funding to make Further Beyond. And it it brought us back to maybe our theatre making days and even up into the journey that led us to Helen and the Civic Life films um, and a way of working that we feel really comfortable with. Because, again, we're making up our own rules. So it's all about creating your own grammar or coming up with your own structures in order to accommodate the material. And in our theatre-making days, it it was very research-led. It has a lot in common with the theatre that we made. Very research-led. And notice what you notice. Follow leads. See how things begin to build around a set of ideas and create a structure that can accommodate them. I think that's the... The key thing or can feel very random in a way it is random because you're following um you're just following your nose what interests you and and going to places and 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 seeing what the act of being in a place does to you and also what it um uncovers for you for example joe going to hoboken in new york and discovering that the Church in on the waterfront it was literally around the corner from the house that his mother lodged in, and also walking up the stairs and holding the banisters that she probably did because they hadn't changed all those years ago when she was in New York. You you have to go to a place to 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 know that to see us. Um, and of course, on the waterfront, we we don't ignore things like that. I guess that's the way we'd approach our work. We we try to be open, and we don't ignore things. We we see that there are gifts that are given to you along the way, um, and of course, everything you dig into uncovers. There's all these layers, um, and that's that's what we were interested in. But I think in order for that to work, you must find a structure, and we always knew that the structure would probably um, that it would rest on these two voiceover artists who are kind of like our stand-ins, our avatars, as you said, um, and that they would allow us to structure the this kind of patchwork quilt of ideas together into something that kind of has some kind of coherency and can hold these two disparate. They're not connecting stories at all. They're different times and different places, but somehow you could take any, John, your background is Irish, you can take any Irish person, you know, alive or dead, and they've got a story. Everyone's got a story, not just Irish people, but we, we wanted to tell two stories. Here's two stories, one historical and one close to home. Um, but they're inter- you could you could change them with someone else's stories. We could take another historical figure, Irish figure, even from South America or from somewhere else in the world, or we could take your story rather than joe's mom's story or my mom's sister's stories yeah. who we went to birmingham you know yeah. we've all yeah. yeah so we just wanted it started off as one story and quickly became two um i'm not saying it's it's neither here nor there because that's not true but it could have been someone else
0: yeah it's it's it's, it's a again a, a incredibly uh, interesting reflective um examination of the everything within it even when you're talking about Am, uh, Ambrosio Higgins it, it, it's searching for that personal grounding you know mm-hmm. Cadiz and the streets and the church and 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 the, and the way in which then you 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 transform those places and you extract mm-hmm. them Know, and, and put them in in your film in that yeah. way. And
1: uh. I was thinking of um, invisible cities, and there's one of the cities that um, disappears because it hasn't changed. But there's a point before it disappears. And I mean, I hope Cadiz doesn't disappear. But when you go to Cadiz, you you can travel through time because it, you feel it hasn't changed. I mean, it is an exquisite city, and it's walled, so it's contained. And um, you know, you get all these beautiful. Um, panoptic views from the towers that they used to use because it was this great, you know, trading, shipping port. Um, and, you know, there's not many places you can go to in the world. So you could be Ambrose O'Higgins it, and see what he saw. Um, and it, it's great to be able to to do that in that place. This is the place mm. he went to. And actually, it, in going to that place, we understood a lot about him. And I guess we were interested in the undocumented parts of his story because there's a point at which everything went on the record because of his, you know, meteoric rise to importance and fame in South America, being the governor of Chile and the viceroy of Peru. Um, sorry, the governor general of Chile. So, you know, there that was the highest office you could hold in the South American colonies in um you know, as part of the Spanish Empire. And yet he was an Irishman from very humble beginnings. Um, at some point he became that other person. But before that, he was this, you know, very humble Irishman. And I guess that's the part that we were drawn to this where we would have to feel our way and through going to the places that he went to. And so we we bring him us to the point where he's about to go to Chile for the first time, yeah. because after that, it's it's you know, it's it's all on record. Documented, yeah. Mm. Yeah,
0: the Baron of Ballinari. Yeah. <laughs> small little yeah. townland. Yes, indeed. OK, well, listen, thank you very much for thank all you, of John. that. Um, in, you know, all of these, all of this work stands as real, um, uh, really wonderful kind of pure filmmaking know um, thank you so thank you for sharing insights into that process um, and uh, thank you very much brilliant thanks John